How do I get God's Word into my life for spiritual transformation? Hi, I'm David Dennis with the Kansas Communities Ministry with The Navigators. Thank you so much for joining us today for this third of three podcasts where we are exploring some introductory thoughts about spiritual disciplines. One of the resources we've used is a book by Donald S. Whitney entitled Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. This was published by NavPress back in 2014, and I would strongly recommend this book for you. So on a practical basis, what are some effective ways to get God's Word deeply into my life to allow the Holy Spirit to transform me? There will be several helpful links in the show notes that I referred to during this podcast. Getting God's Word into our life is probably the most important spiritual discipline. There are many others, of course, and we will probably cover those later on a different podcast. Today we start with a brief review of what we've discussed in the first two podcasts. What is our goal when it comes to spiritual disciplines? Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 4.7, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. The goal is godliness. The goal is holiness. Is the pursuit of holiness or godliness just for super-Christians? No, not by any means. We are all commanded to be holy. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. End quote. Jesus wants us to be as holy as he is. That's the goal. Now, how do you do this? We mentioned last time that holiness is not achieved by trying harder to obey the rules. Rather, it's achieved by keeping our eyes on Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 in the NIV says, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. End quote. We are to keep our eyes on Jesus. As we contemplate the Lord's glory, he transforms us into his image with ever-increasing levels of glory. We also mentioned previously our definition of spiritual disciplines. They are, quote, biblical practices that promote spiritual growth and becoming more like Jesus. So, why pursue spiritual habits or practices? First of all, God commands it in 1 Timothy 4, 7. Secondly, John 15, in the parable about the vine and the branches, it helps us to abide more and more in Christ, and thus helps us gain his perspective on life. In 1 Corinthians 4.2, Paul commands us to be a faithful steward, a faithful steward. That's another reason to pursue spiritual habits or practices. And finally, they are a means to godliness and not an end in themselves. Well, I have to ask myself, do I want to be more like Jesus every day? Or are you and I kind of like St. Augustine, who is quoted as saying, God, make me good, but not yet, end quote. There's an interesting story about a certain person in Russia. Let me read that to you. This is found in Moody's Anecdotes, page 99. At the village church in Kalonovka, Russia, attendance at Sunday school picked up after the priest started handing out candy to the peasant children. One of the most faithful was a pug-nosed, pugnacious lad who recited his scriptures with proper piety, pocketed his reward, and then fled into the fields to munch on it. The priest took a liking to the boy, persuaded him to attend church school. 
This was preferable to doing household chores from which his devout, devout parents excused him. By offering other inducements, the priest managed to teach the boy the four Gospels. In fact, he won a special prize for learning all four by heart and reciting them nonstop in church. Now, 60 years later, he still likes to recite scriptures, but in a context that would horrify the old priest. You see, the prized pupil who memorized so much of the Bible is Nikita Khrushchev, the former communist czar. As this anecdote illustrates, the why behind memorization is fully as important as the what. The same Nikita Khrushchev, who nimbly mouthed God's word when a child, later declared God to be non-existent because his cosmonauts had not seen him. Khrushchev memorized the scriptures for the candy, the rewards, the bribes, rather than for the meaning it had for his life. Artificial motivation will produce artificial results, end quote. So it's critical that we keep our eyes on Jesus and remember that the purpose for which we are doing spiritual disciplines is to become godly, to become holy, to become more like Jesus. So, number two, how do we pursue spiritual habits or practices? We talked about this last time as well. We are to discipline ourselves to place ourselves in the right position to receive God's grace. We want to put ourselves in the right position to receive God's grace. And this reminds us that our part is to put ourselves in a position so that his power can change our heart. Or stated differently, we do 100% our part, putting ourselves in the right position to receive his power, and God does 100% of his part. He does the changing of our hearts as we look to Jesus. Again, this is not talking about salvation and going to heaven when you die. We're talking about sanctification. We do 100% our part, and there is work to be done to put ourselves in a position to receive his power to change. So the Holy Spirit does the work in our lives. John 16, 8 reminds us that the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He guides us into all truth. John sixteen thirteen, New King James says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. End quote. The Holy Spirit convicts us of all truth. He will guide us into truth. John seventeen seventeen says, Sanctify them by your truth. Jesus is praying to God in his high priestly prayer, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And in Romans 12, 2, Paul reminds us, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So God renews our minds. He transforms us when we look into God's word. In summary, I would say the Holy Spirit of God takes the Word of God and transforms the people of God. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit of God takes the Word of God and transforms the people of God. Today we're going to look at some practical aspects of the spiritual discipline of getting God's Word into our lives. A very famous and familiar illustration by the navigators is the word hand illustration. And I'm going to put links to these in the show notes so you can have access to this directly from the navigators website. The word hand illustration reminds us of different ways of getting God's word into our hearts. 
So if you look at your hand, there are five fingers, four fingers and a thumb. The little finger reminds us that we can get God's word into our heart by hearing it, by going to a worship service, hearing the sermon, listening to podcasts, listening to uh, people teaching God's word on the radio or TV. When we hear God's word, we retain only about 5% of it. Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the little finger reminds us of hearing and the fact that while it's important, we retain only about 5%. The next finger over, the ring finger, reminds us about reading God's word. Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. End quote. When we read God's word, we retain more, maybe about 15 to 20 percent or so. The third finger over reminds us of studying God's word. Acts 17, 10 through 11 says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so, end quote. When we study God's word, we get more of it into our hearts. We retain about 35% or so of something that we study. So again, the little finger reminds us of hearing God's word, where we retain about 5%. The ring finger reminds us of reading God's word, where we retain about 15%. The long finger reminds us of studying God's word, where we retain about about 35%. And fourthly, the pointer, pointer finger reminds us that memorizing is of key importance. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. When we hide God's word in our heart, we retain 100% of what we've memorized. That's the pointer finger. So those are all excellent and important, hearing, reading, studying, and memorizing. But if you think about that, you can't pick up anything. You can't pick up really a book or anything just with those four fingers. There's the fifth element of meditating on God's word. Psalm 1 verse 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. The key to getting God's word into our hearts and lives is meditating on Scripture. That's the fifth way. Now, what is meditation? Well, it's not emptying the mind like one might think. It's not just sitting there with a totally open mind. Rather, meditation is like a cow chewing its cud, turning over and over and over in our mind what God is teaching us through his word. Meditation requires us to slow down, not read things so fast. Ken Bailey used to say, don't read the Bible fast, read it slow. So meditation requires us to slow down and take things in more carefully. Meditation is the key to a changed life. Donald Whitney, in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, mentions eight methods of meditating on God's Word. I'm just going to read through these. I think they're excellent. Number one, emphasize different words in the text. Emphasize different words in the text. So when you're reading through a passage, you read the same passage, but each time you emphasize a different word, and that helps us to slow down and think, what does that word mean in that passage? 
Number two, rewrite the text in your own words. Paraphrase it. That is extremely helpful for me to rewrite it and to really put it through my mind and my heart. What is God really saying through this passage? Number three, formulate a principle from the text. Answer the question, what was the original author telling the original readers? So formulate a principle from the text. Number four, how can I apply this principle? How does it relate to a current situation in my life? Be honest with yourself and say, what does this really say to me in my current situation? Because the Holy Spirit knows what's going on in your life and knows that he can apply God's word to your life today. Number five, what question is answered by the text or what problem is solved by the text? Number six, outline the passage. Maybe there's a list of principles that you can bring out of it. Number seven, set and discover a minimum number of insights from the text. Number eight, what are some cross-references that correlate with this passage? What are some cross-references that correlate with this passage? If you don't know how to find cross-references, an excellent source is blueletterbible.org. Blueletterbible.org, I'll reference that in the show notes. But there is an excellent list of cross-references for each scripture, for each verse in scripture. Right now I'm doing a Bible study on John chapter 5 with a group of guys, and I've read that chapter numerous times. It's the story about the paralytic being healed by the pool of Bethesda, and that made the Jewish authorities extremely mad that Jesus would heal someone on the Sabbath, the holy day of the week. The passage says that they were out to kill Jesus because he healed someone on the Sabbath. And also it says they were out to kill him because he made himself equal with God. He claimed that God was his father and that made him equal with God. So I never thought about this before, but the next part of the of chapter five talks about four witnesses that agree with Jesus that say that Jesus indeed is the promised Messiah. The first witness that Jesus appeals to is John the Baptist. John the Baptist stated that, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, claiming that this Jesus truly is the promised Messiah. The second witness that Jesus refers to is his works, the miracles that he does. He says, Look at my works, and you will see that they are a witness to my divinity. The third witness that Jesus appeals to is his Father. You know, in the book of John, chapter 1, when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, God says from a cloud, this is my beloved son, I am well pleased in him. And also at the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus was called God's son by God the Father. This is my beloved son, believe him, he says. So that's the third witness. The fourth witness that Jesus appeals to is the scripture itself, the Old Testament, the books of Moses, the Torah. And if one looks through the Old Testament, you will see uh, many, many examples of references to the Messiah and many prophecies of the Messiah, even in the Torah. So to me, as I was meditating on this for this Bible study, it just opened my eyes to the fact that Jesus was indeed who he claimed to be. Now, I believed that before, 
But this brought a new degree of confidence and assurance that Jesus was indeed who he claimed to be because of these four assurances that he points to, these four witnesses that he points to in Scripture. I would never have gotten it out of that had I not slowed down, taken the time, and meditated on this passage. So here are just a few practical points about getting God's Word into your life. First of all, find a location where you will pray, read God's Word, and meditate on Scripture. Maybe that's in the bedroom. Maybe that's in the living room. Maybe that's in your office. But today, before the end of the day, find a location where you're going to get up tomorrow morning and read and pray and meditate on God's Word. Number two, find a time. What time are you going to do it? For many people, first thing in the morning is the best time before the day really gets started. For other people, later on in the day or maybe over the noon hour. But number two would be to find the time and make that a sure thing every day. Number three, take your time. Read the Bible slowly. Get the context. Don't just rush through it. Number four, find a Bible reading plan that you can use. I'm going to put some links in the show notes that have some Bible reading plans that are very helpful. And number five, meditate each time you read the Bible and write down the answers to three questions. First question is, what do I learn about God from this passage? The second question is, what do I learn about people from this passage? And the third question is, what do I think God wants me to do in my own life about what I just read? In that example that I just gave you about John chapter 5 and my study on that, these are my thoughts about what I learned about God. First of all, only that God could predict a coming Messiah 1,500 years before he came. That is when Moses lived, about 1,500 B.C. Only God could predict a coming Messiah 1,500 years before he came. And Jesus is indeed who he said he is. That's what I learned about God. What did I learn about people from that passage? We often can't see the forest for the trees. Just as the Jews believed so strongly that they were right in their understanding of Scripture, we tend to believe what we want to believe. We tend to believe what we have grown up with. And that's what I learned about people from this passage. I need to be open to what God wants to teach me. And thirdly, what is God calling me to put into practice? To me, it increased my level of confidence in who God is, that Jesus truly is who he said he was. So my application was to be confident in my faith because of all the evidence, because of the witnesses that Jesus gave. I urge you to decide today where you will read and meditate on God's word tomorrow. What time will you meet with the Lord? Where will you sit or stand? And what will you read? Is your Bible available for reading tomorrow? Check the show notes for some free Bible reading plans and other helpful information. Join me next time as we learn more about making disciples naturally. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and are not necessarily the views of the navigators, nor of the Kansas Communities Ministry. Thank you for listening.